so much different. But, uh, but anyway, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your investment. And I hope this time will be, be profitable to you. I want to invite you to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter number 3. Just remind me here a minute. How many of you have been married 10 years or less? How many of you have been married? Okay. How many of you have been married, uh, let's say, uh, 10, uh, 11 to 30 years? Okay. And how many is 31 and beyond? Okay. All right. So, how many of you... Because uh, this will help me to know how to direct. I can do anything I want. You know, B.R. Lakin, uh, evangelist of the last century, used to say, "My sermon's like a like a freight train. I can uncouple any car I want to, let her out of the let her out of the out of the sink, and couple back and put her on." All right. So, how many of you have children? How many of you have children? Okay, most of you, all of you. Uh, most of you. Okay. How many of you have children living at home? Living at home. How many of you got grandchildren? I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with what I'm going to say, but who doesn't want to raise your hand and you got grandchildren? All right, so, all right, so, all right, so Colossians chapter 3, all right? And uh, we're just going to look at a, at a couple of verses here. Uh, look at verse 18. It says, Wives, submit yourselves and your own husband as he is fit in the Lord. And I know I need to be outside and uh, out in the auditorium now, really yelling and screaming on that verse. But anyway, verse 19 Husbands, love your wives. And be not bitter against them. Verse 20. I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we've been able to spend together Thursday night, yesterday, last night, and now this morning we come to these closing sessions. And I pray, Lord, you'd help me to communicate effectively your truth. And I pray you challenge us, Lord. I believe that I am speaking to men who will eternally be responsible for the marriage and the family that you give them. And so, Lord, may this time be a wonderful time in our lives, a time of instruction, a time of challenge, and even a time of change. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, you know, I really do believe this. I believe that if your marriage isn't what you think it ought to be or what God planned it to be, it's your fault. I don't think it's your wife's fault. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll prove that uh, hopefully from the Bible here in a minute. I, I believe it's our fault. You say, well, you don't know my wife. No, I may not. But I know, I know that God gave the responsibility of our homes to us as men. Why don't, why don't people have a good home? They're just not willing to invest in it. And it takes time and effort to have a good marriage. It takes time and effort to rear godly children. I, I believe like what Malachi said, God brought us together, Sharon and I, to produce a godly seed. Not just to have children, if that's his plan for your life, but that they might be a godly seed. I know that the primary focus of 3 John 4 is not physical children, but I have no greater joy than that my children won't be true. And, uh, and so I want to I help us. The, the, the context of this, these verses we read are, are quite interesting. We will not have the time to go through the context, but I believe the context starts up in verse 12, where the apostle said to those at Colossae, 
put on, therefore, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. He may have a quarrel against him, even as Christ also, uh, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. You know, there's probably not a greater testing ground of those qualities of Christian life. Mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, forbearance, and forgiveness in your home. That, that's probably not, not a greater testing ground. And, and then, verse 14, above all these things, put on charity, love, which is the bond of perfectness. And then he talks about let the peace of God rule in your heart. He talks about the word of Christ will unto you richly. And whatsoever you do, do word, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, I, I think all of those things are really the foundation on which you build a Christian marriage. Because all of those things flow out of Jesus himself. Alright? So, then we get to where he deals with us individually. And, and for this hour, I'm just going to spend the time focusing on our roles as a Christian man. Number one, as a partner. As a partner. What is, where, where does God start? Look at verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Statement number one, God sets up the order in the home, the husband as the leader. The husband as the leader. If your wife is leading your home, it's because... You chose not to leave it. Every woman out there in that auditorium wants a leader. She wants to be led. She wants somebody to set out a pace so she can follow. What does what does a leader do? Let me give you two things. I don't think these are the notes you want to can. What does a leader do? Number one, a leader makes decisions. I'm sure a pastor over the years have had this same experience, but when I've had to deal with couples that were having difficulty, much of it revolved around the fact that the husband was not a decision maker. Now, I'm not talking about being a dictator. There's a lot of difference between a dictator and a decision maker. A decision maker takes in the opinions of others. I'm a decision maker at our church. I'm the pastor. I have seven men serving our pastoral staff. We have about 82 employees in our ministry. I, I make a lot of decisions all the time. I mean, life's all filled with decisions. Right? But I don't make those decisions void of the input of the other people. I have deacons, 13 deacons. I, I take their input. But you know what? When it comes down to the end of the day, I've got to make a decision. And no decision is a decision. I've got to make a decision. Well, in my home, I listen to the input of my wife. As a matter of fact, she has some great ideas. She's had some terrible ones. But I'll be the first to admit, I've had some terrible ones. I tell, I tell couples in premarital counseling, I talk about this when I'm talking to you about, about making decisions, and I talk to a man about you, you've got to be a decision maker. If you're not a 
decision maker. Your wife is going to step up and make decisions. Every woman I know that's leaving home, she's doing it because her husband abdicated his responsibility. Okay. So I talk to him, and, and I usually tell the guy when I'm talking to him about divorce decisions, those kind of things. And then I look at the lady, and I say to him, he's going to make some bad ones. He's not going to intentionally make bad ones, but he's going to make some bad ones. Number one, he's never made decisions for two people. He's always made them for one. So that's just a challenge in itself. And, and But when he makes a bad decision, the worst thing I tell a, a, a bride to be is you stand over in the corner going, nah, 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 I told you something. I said, you know, no, just support him. He'll, he'll, he'll get better at it. He'll take some practice. But, but, but a leader makes decisions. Now, let me tell you the second thing a leader does. He marks direction. I, I think it's John Maxwell uh, in one of his books about leadership. And I, and I like Maxwell, so this isn't a slam. You've read one of his books, you've read them all. But anyway, <laughs> he just puts different titles on them and comes at it from a different angle when he talks about the same subject. And, uh, and so, but I think it's Maxwell. He said, if you think you're a leader, you turn around and there's nobody behind you, just remember you're just taking a walk. <laughs> You're not leading anybody. Well, a leader marks direction. You, you, you want to have a spiritual marriage? You've got to be a spiritual man. You want to have a spiritual home? You've got to be a spiritual father. People will watch what you do more than they'll ever listen to what you say. A leader marks out direction and says, this is a way, let's walk in it. And, and as a leader in the home, God says to the wife, submit yourself. Why? Because he's leading. That, that word submit implies order. Just like an army has a gentleman, a company has a CEO, a home has a husband. And uh, you and I, when we do not fulfill our leadership responsibility, we always do it to the detriment of our family. We do it to the detriment of our life. We do it to the detriment of our children. Statement number two. Having established the order, Paul then gives order to the husband. He's established the order. Why submit? But then he speaks to us as a partner in verse number 19. Husband, love your wives. Number one there. The husband is to love his wife. When I was in undergrad studies, my theology professor taught some other classes, uh, Christian ethics and I took Romans from and I can't remember one other. He, he had a definition of love and I thought when I heard it, this has got to be the straightest definition of love I've ever heard. He said, love is an affectionate concern that leads to an appropriate action. What does it mean to love my wife? It is an affectionate concern that leads to an appropriate action. In other words, love does. Love doesn't just speak. Love expresses itself. And you and I are told to love our wives. And the word love, you probably so many of you have heard this many times before. This word is the strongest word in the New Testament for love. 
There, there, there's another word in the New Testament, Jesus, phileo, which means a brotherly love. The Greek had another word, eros, which means a sensual love. It's not even found in the New Testament. This was agape. It's sacrificing love. It's serving love. And, and you and I are given a clear command to love our wives. You know, it's quite interesting. We are commanded to love her. She's never commanded to love us. So, so you and I are told that, I think, and, and we don't have time. Parallel passages, you want to study it out? It is Ephesians 5. Uh, start about verse, well, you really start about verse 18. You're not drunk wine, where's next as we fill the Spirit? All the way up to verse 33. From, from 5, 18 to 33 is a, is a parallel passage. And in 5.25, it says, Husband, love your wives, even the Christ love the church. It says, I think, verse 28, Husband, love your wives, even as your own body. And then I think it's verse 33, Husband, love your wives as you love yourself. Do you, you, you understand every one of us in here are stuck on ourselves? I don't tell our wives. Okay? But we're all egomaniacs. That's another thing I tell pre-marital counseling. You're fixing to marry an egomaniac. He's all about himself. We saw that in the marriage translators, all right? It's all about self. So God, in order to combat that, gives us this command. Love your wife. Like Christ loved the church. Like you love yourself. Like you love your own body. I mean, you, you, you want to know what I like? Oh, just ask me. I got a, I got a, I got a slip of paper in my back pocket. Ten favorite things I like. All right? So, I mean, no. We don't have to have that. We know what we like. And because of that, we are naturally stuck on ourselves. So God says, love your wife. It's present, active, indicative in the Greek language, which means it's a forever responsibility. Then statement number two. Husbands must be careful not to harbor bitterness in their hearts against their wives for something they did or did not. Now, this is the only time this is mentioned. This, 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 this is not in that parallel passage in Ephesians 5. But verse 19, as much as it says, husbands love your wives, it says, husbands be not bitter against them. You know, because we as men naturally love ourselves and have an ego. When that ego's not fed and that ego's not rubbed, sometimes we begin to assume things that aren't necessarily true. And when we make false assumptions, it leads us to bitterness because we did not get treated the way we thought our wife ought to treat her. She did not do what we think she ought to do. Or she did something she knows I don't like her to do. And if I'm not careful, I think it's Hebrews 12, maybe for 14, 15, somewhere. It says a little root of bitterness springing up. Bitterness always starts like a weed in a sidewalk. It's a little bit of that. I don't know how in the world weeds grow in concrete, but they do not. It's the most amazing thing to me. They grow where I don't want them. Bitterness comes up in our hearts where we never expected it to come. And if we allow any kind of resentment to smolder in our heart, 
it will erupt into a fire. So you have to deal with every ill feeling you have towards your wife. Legitimate or illegitimate. Whatever the feelings are. If you don't, you're going to disobey this command. Be not bitter against them. It's bitterness that many men jump off of the springboard into great trouble. Because they, we feel like we didn't get what we should have. So, so God sets up our rule, first of all, as a partner. Secondly, as a parent. As a parent. Look, look at verse number 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Statement number one. As in the partner role, Paul begins the parental role with the order of rule in the home. What does it say to children? It says, obey your parents in all things. You know what God intends for all of our children to understand? They must obey. And you, I know you do, but None of them come out of that. Yeah. I joked a little bit. Our, our first two grandchildren were born exactly three months apart. July 29th and October 29th. And, 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 and I joked in those other days, you know, well, I, I didn't think there would ever be perfect children in this world, but looks like there are going to be two of them. You know? and, and of course, that is a joke. I close the back. But you know what? No child comes out of that. But you know where God puts a child? He puts a child under the authority of his or her parents. He gives children to us to teach them to obey. Because the reality of life is they're going to have to be obeying somebody the rest of life. Whether it's a school teacher, or an employer, or law enforcement, our government, our church. Yeah. I, I served on staff at our church for 16 and a half years. I answered directly to our pastor, and I love our pastor. He and I are the best of friends we are, even this day. And I've been his pastor almost 23 years now. I thought the day I became pastor, November the 1st, 1979. No, 1997, sorry. No, 1997. You know what I thought? I thought I had finally got to the but you know what I realized? I realized I didn't answer to one man anymore. I had hundreds of people that thought I answered to them. I found out that the road from my office to his, I thought it was 15 feet until I got back there, and it's about 1,500 miles all back there. You know, you know, because it doesn't matter who you are or where you are, you're always going to be under somebody's authority. And so God gives us our children so that we can train them to follow authority. Because if they rebel against your authority in your home, they're going to rebel against other authorities. It's just a, it's just a chain of events. They, they're not going to obey. You, you ever been in a restaurant? I have. I, I, I've been in a restaurant. Maybe a little nicer restaurant than that Donnie Ellis or whatever. 
And, uh, and sitting there, and there's a little three-year-old kid over here, and he's throwing his food, and he's throwing his fork, and he's throwing his knife, and he's throwing his spoon, and, and he's making a lot of noise, and he's, 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 he's disrupting everybody within 20 feet, 30 feet of him. Now, now I've never done this. Okay, I've never done this. Uh, but I tell you what I wanted to do. I, what I wanted to do was I wanted to go over and grab him by both shoulders and say, won't you sit up this minute? I'll help you. Now, I'm not talking about the three-year-old kid. He's acting like a three-year-old. I'm talking about his daddy. You know? Punk. I, I was a youth pastor for them and a half years, so just forgive me. Punk teenagers have punk parents. Okay? Uh, and, 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 you know, I, I'm not upset that the kid, a three-year-old's acting like any three-year-old's going to act unless he's trained to act different. He's just being a three-year-old. But his daddy ought to begin to be able to look at him in a setting and say, got to stop that, Johnny. I don't know why we all call him Johnny, but anyway, you got to stop that, Johnny. I know Johnny's always got the bad <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I mean, cool. <laughs> bad, 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 We'll call him Sylvester. All right, so you know, that Sylvester. And uh, yeah, I'm supposed to teach my children. Matter of fact, notice what teaching is. Now we'll be out here on time. But children, obey your parents in what is that next word? All things. Okay. Now, all right. If if children are going to obey us in all things, and God's given to them to us to teach them to obey. You know what all things commits us to? It commits us to teaching them all. I'm all for the local church, okay? But it's not Pastor Keely and Brother Kenny's responsibility to train the children. You know why you bring them to church or Kenny, you work with the teenagers, I think so. You, you want you to put them in youth group, not for Brother Kenny to teach them. You put them in youth group because you know Brother Kenny's going to teach them the same thing you taught them. See, see, pastor comes alongside of you to help you with your marriage and your own. That's what this couple's retreat's about. To come alongside of you. Not, not, I, I didn't come here to correct your wife. Now, I may have come here to correct you, but anyway, I didn't come here to correct your wife. All right? No, no. I, I, I put my children in our, in our church ministry because I, I knew where, what they were going to hear was the same thing they heard at home. I taught them. We, we have a church school. I put my children, they went from K-5 to 12th grade in our church school. I never put them in that school because I wanted them to teach them what's right and wrong. No, I put them there so they'd reinforce what I'd already taught them what's right and wrong. I, I taught I. I want to teach my children everything. I taught them things I wasn't taught. My dad never talked to me about sexual intimacy. I had no knowledge. I mean, I read one book before I got married, Tim LaHaye's The Act of Marriage. I don't even know if that book's still printed anymore. At the point I got married, it was the only Christian book I even knew about that you could read before you got married. But, but, but you know what? I'm turning my, my boys weren't going to learn about the physical intimacy God had prepared for them to know with their wife in a locker room, on a playground. Matter of fact, when I first started training our boys, I told them, 
I said, whatever your friends at school say, they don't have any idea. And I'm going to tell you what I believe you ought to be told today, but if you hear something, you have a question, you come back to me, and I'll teach you as I feel like you need to know. Sharon and I dated. I told you we met each other when I was 16, she was 13. That is entirely, I just don't think a teenager's equipped for that. God was good to us. It was only by his grace and mercy and our desire to please him that we didn't end up immoral before we got married. You know what I determined I was going to do? I determined I was going to teach my children when to hold hands, when to kiss, when to say I love you. I determined I was going to teach them those things. So I did. And uh, we, didn't, we didn't allow our kids to date when we got to college. But I told the boys, I said, and Sharon, mostly with joy, if you let us, this is what, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, when we really, you really believe this is the, this is the girl for you, I'll, I'll tell you when you can hold her hand the first time. Why? Holding hand wrong? No. But holding hand hold, leads to the next step, leads to the next step, leads to the next step. I'll tell you when you can kiss. I'll tell you when you tell her, I love you. You'll let me. I'll help you. Why? Because God gave them to me to do that. Just like I taught them right and wrong there a little, just when I taught them the Bible's the Word of God, that Christ is the Son of God, the way of salvation, the only way of salvation. I want to teach them all things. And so, you know, you know joy's a little different because I'm not the dad of the boy. But I still remember, you know, she, she got interested in a guy, and so she said, she told me, she said, you know, I kind of like Chris, and I said, well, I kind of like him not much. Oh, and um, <laughs> she said, he wants, he wants to call me. It was over the summer. And uh, can he call me? And I said, yes, he can call you. Once he calls me, and asks if he can call me. <clears throat> so he did. And I said, Chris, here's our rules. Our rules will be you can talk 10 minutes a day. That's it. Uh, I think probably after 10 minutes, you probably get to talk about stuff that we talk about on the phone. And uh, she will always be where her mom and I can hear her. We won't. I said, I'm not going to tell you we're going to stay there by her, but she's always going to be where we can hear And uh, so anyway, so I got to So uh, just to tell you the story goes, I like the story. Uh, you know, uh, he came to me and asked if they have a date relationship. I gave permission. I told him, I said, you, you know, she, he knew both of my boys. He was one of the next son in college. So, I said, here's what I've done. He said, I, I know all that, Pastor Raven, but thank you. He grew up from a very nominal Christian home. And um, and so so I told him I'd help him. And he, you know, I said, but you're going to have to allow me to help you. I, you know, I can't thank you. But he did. And uh, never forget, he he only graduated college as youth pastor up in Tennessee. He called me. He said, uh, he said you know, I'm coming in uh, Friday to see Joy, and I wonder if I could go to lunch with you. And uh, he's still sitting here college, you cranked four in the throat. And uh, he graduated four point oh, so I couldn't, I couldn't comply. So, so she, uh, I said, sure. So I told Sharon, I got home, I said, Chris is coming in Friday, he's going to ask if he married your wife. And she said, Are you prepared to tell him what you want to do? I said, yeah, I kind of got it laid out in my mind. So we went out to a little restaurant nearby. It's called Remington Grill, a hamburger joint that I love. It's closed now, but anyway, I loved it back in those days. 
And uh, and so uh, we got through, got back in the car, drove back to church. Uh, Chris went down the hallway, talked with the boys. Sharon come running off. I said, oh, we're great. Right. She said, we're great. Right. I said, he didn't ask me. She said, he didn't ask me. I said, no. I said, I think he's so nervous. I don't know why, because at this time, I've been dating three years. I said, I don't know why he's so nervous, but he's, I think he's just so uptight. And he didn't ask me. She said, oh, okay. So they went on a date that night, and after the day, uh, he said, Pastor Raven, well, why do I leave to go home tomorrow morning? Could I meet you in your office? I said, sure. And he asked me. And so I told him, I said, Chris, I said, uh, I said, you know, we, you probably know this. I said, we allow the boys when they got engaged to kiss uh, their future bride. I said, not a lingering kiss, but, a, but just a short kiss. And, and, uh, and so, you know, that'd be fine with us. And he said, no. He said, Pastor Reverend, Joy and I already decided we're not going to kiss each other until we get to the marriage order. And I said, oh, well, that'd be great. And I said, don't change your mind. In the heat of the moment, you change your mind. You call me before you do. He said, sir. I said, yeah, you tell me. Unless you change, if you change your mind, we can talk about it any time. I don't want something to happen just in the heat of the moment because something else could happen. See, you got to teach them all things. They don't know all things. They think they know all things. But but God's given that challenge for us to teach. So here we go. We're going to finish up. We're going to finish up quick. All right? Uh, number next. Have addressed the parental rule in the home. Paul continues by addressing the parental responsibility in the home. Look, look, look at what he says. Verse 21. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. And I'll give you this little statement. Remember that you're a dad, not a dictator. You're a dad, not a dictator. I, I heard this statement years ago, and I've used it so many times in our home and helping other parents in their home with teenagers. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. Rules without relationship. You, you, you know how you can enforce rules? You know, I always some off the off the Bible college. He didn't know that one of the vice presidents of the college could hear him. And, and another freshman was saying, Man, I didn't know when I signed up for this thing here that we'll have all these rules. He said, This rules, 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 rules. And he said, Tim said to him, he said, Oh, you ain't never seen rules unless you lived in a Raven household. But he said, Tim was saying it kind of joking. But but we had a lot of rules. But we had a lot of relationship. Rules without relationship equal rebellion. I'll, I'll give you the flip side of that coin. Rules with relationship equals response. And that's really what I want for my children. I want them to respond. I don't want to provoke them to anger. Why? Because if I do, you know what they'll do? They'll be discouraged. They'll be discouraged. Oh, I, I, I missed that second note. A listening ear and a loving heart always go together. A listening ear and a loving heart. Do your children think you listen to them? I had a teenage girl. Whenever I counsel teenagers, I always tell them at the beginning of the sessions, if there's anything you tell me that I feel like your parents have, need to know, I'm going to look at you and say, you need to tell your mom that. Do your mom and dad know that? Yes or no? If they don't, you need to tell them. And then I'm going to say, I'll give you 48 hours to tell me. And in the 48 hours, I'm going to contact you again, and we'll get a text in those days. I'll go to you, call you, say, if you talk to your parents about what you told me in my office. OK? 
Okay? So, so, and then if you haven't, I'm going to, right? And I signed a girl there one day, and she's about 16, I think. And, uh, and, and she said, uh, Pastor Ray, uh, no, I'm Pastor Ray, Mr. Raven, you, you, you don't believe what my daddy told me last night. I said, let me tell you, they're having a lot of trouble. She said, my daddy said, you've been living with me 16 years of your life. I know everything there is to know about you. She said, has he ever thought that I've been living with him 16 years of my life and I know everything there is to know about him? Now, I knew her dad. I had led her dead personally to Christ. So, a little later in I said, he's probably never thought of that. I said, is that something you'd like me to tell him? Because I, I mean, she, was really, she was really upset. She said, would you tell him that for me? I said, yeah, I think it'd help him. She said, you really want me? sure. You want me to? I don't think he'd receive it from me, but he might receive it from me. So I did. I sat down with him. I had heart to heart with him. And I said, you know, your anger outburst at home. That, that's not an excuse for what she's doing, but it's definitely a trigger. Definitely a trigger. Listen, you've got to have a listening ear and a loving heart. That, the last statement, discouraged means to be disheartened to be disheartened, to have their spirit broken. Their spirit. Now listen to me. I believe discipline breaks their will so they submit. They obey. But you don't break their spirit. God made your children unique. They may not be like you, but God made them. And that spirit needs to, that God's put in them, those desires, those drives, they don't need to be stopped. They need to be shaped. And, and listen, you and I can discourage our children so many ways. I'll just listen. I don't have time to talk. Overprotecting your children will discourage them. You know, a child growing up is like a rubber band. You stretch it, 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 and it pops. Well, one of these days they're supposed to be on their own. So if you're over, if you're if you're protecting them at 16 like you did at six, you're hurting them. Another way to discourage your children, showing favoritism. Man, they'll, they'll catch on in that quick. Setting unrealistic goals. Some children can't do some things. All of our children were not A students. One of our children, his best was about C or B. I, I, I don't usually say his, so I, I narrowed it down, so it's not joy. But uh, you know what? It, to, to reward, only forgive, making an A. That, that would have discouraged him. He, he, he wasn't he wasn't a he's got imagination out of this world, but I'm telling you, God used him now to help me in unrealistic ones. But setting unrealistic goals. Failing to show affection, that'll provoke your children. Not providing for their needs. Not providing for their needs. Not their wants, their needs. Fixing your power, give them what they I talked about finances the other night. How did I help them so they would prepare for college? Let me tell you how I helped them. When they made, George, Sharon talked about Philip making $15. We made him put 50% of that had to go in the bank. 10% he had to give to God as a tithe. I encouraged them to give a little bit to Faith Promise Missions and building, but that was up to them. I said, you and the Lord figured that out. So the basic other 40% they could take and spend. 
And, and I would provide for their needs. If they needed a pair of tennis shoes, I would buy those tennis shoes. But if I could buy a pair of tennis shoes for $49.99 that were good tennis shoes and they were fine tennis shoes, but they wanted Nike and they, were, they could get them at the outlet for $70, they had to come up with $21 more. That, that taught them how to value things. So, so not providing their needs, not, not setting real limits. Children want boundaries. They want to know when they have stepped over the line. And when they step over the line, you have to punish them every time that you know it. So, yeah, I mean, uh, excessive discipline, criticism, and neglect. Anyway, we're out of time. And I don't want to get back in there real late after showing up because she's usually a long at night. Right. But anyway, hope that helps you. Thank you. We'll be dismissed back to the altar. All right? Can we pray? Can we pray? Yes. Sure, everybody can. We're going to miss you, so. Yeah, let's pray. All right. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us responsibility to be the husband and many of us to be a father. And even now as a grandfather, Lord, you know, I, as a granddad, I never want to discourage my grandchildren. I sure don't want to discourage their parents. So I, I try to keep the same rules that they set for when they're at my house. And sometimes that's hard, Lord, but help me to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hang on a second. Joseph, No, but it's about to be Guys, let's do.